All right, good morning, good morning. Yo, I am a, I'm a hot mess right now, you know? Just, man, I was praying all week that the Lord would just kind of break through my, my heart. Heart is just, we're so unaffected by these things, you know, sometimes. And it began to really, like, really bother me. I was like, man, how can I just read it throughout the Bible where you just like come and go with worship you know you're like struggling to get in the word and, and it's just like what has happened you know sometimes and and so anyway it's just a it was just personal for me to be like Lord like I just don't want to do I don't want to live that way and in light of what you've done for me like what is happening and so just trying to renew that and going back through the Bible and for us as a group you know sometimes this is important not just because Shouting is biblical and it's an appropriate response to what God has done. It's also important because sometimes some of you walk in here super defeated. You need someone else to shout for you. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes you walk in here super encouraged and shouting is going to come natural. As you're going to be excited. The Lord's been doing Some of you is going to come while you're crying and you something terrible happened, but Jesus is still good. Okay. So you're going to shout. And so this is how the body operates. And this is why it's so important for us to express ourselves, not because it's about you, but it's about the Lord and about your brother and sister. The body, I mean, that Bible so often talks about when you come together, build one another up. So it's not, you know, when you come together, listen to a sermon. There's a lot of feedback in there. Let me go down here. Is that better? Is that better? A little better? Does that sound better? Okay. Week three, we're still figuring it out. All right. He doesn't say when you come down here, you know, listen to another sermon. Y'all can see me in the back, right? I'm, I'm pretty tall. I'm about 6'10". So, yeah. <laughs> Why y'all laughing? All right. He doesn't say, you know, when you come together, do this and that. He says, when you come together, each of you build one another up. And so we say all the time, right? We say, don't spectate, participate. And this is one of the ways we do that. And so when we, when we sit under the word, this is a form of worship. We don't go from worship to teaching. We go from worship into worship. And then we go into another worship. And then we leave and we worship. And we're just doing it in different ways. And so in the same way, if the Lord so leads, if we're talking about the goodness of God, not because I say something clever, but because the Lord is exposing how good he is. And that creates a praise in your mouth and in your heart. You can feel free to express that. We're here to worship the Lord, not just listen to a sermon. And so I want us to continue to engage, 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 be responsive. So this is why even after the service, we have a prayer team down front. And while we're singing, there's a response. We, we come here to respond to the Lord. That's primary. And that could be in various forms. And so as we continue to gather, I just want us to, to almost, in a sense, retrain ourselves to come and engage. Don't spectate, participate and express yourself. Not because it's about you, but the Lord is worthy of it and your brother or sister may need it. This is why I'm important. Always like in small group discussions, I teach everybody, I don't care what your personality is. If God's doing something in your life, it doesn't matter if you feel like sharing it. Someone else probably needs to hear it. That's why they're in the room with you. God has ordained that. You know, it's not a coincidence that this exact amount of people is in the room today. That you're here. It's not like just happenstance. Like this group just happened to gather. These particular people. Some were here last. Some weren't. Some haven't been here. Some have. That's not an accident. God has brought each one of us here on purpose. 
with a particular mission. And some of you need to come to know the Lord. You need to come and experience His goodness to you. You need to jump into a relationship with the Lord. And many of you just need to catch up with what God's doing and be a part of what God's doing. And one of the things we say a lot in the beginning with our servant leaders is we're here to serve, not be served. And so we come expecting that kind of posture. We're here to expect what God's going to do. So just continually, those of you who are maybe more uh, natural at, at being engaged, man, lead the way. Let's be what we want to see. But for all of us, this is something we're going to press into to say the Lord is worthy of our shame, of our dignity. It's like I throw my dignity away. I just throw it in the trash. You know, I keep all my clothes on, but I throw my dignity in the trash. You know what I'm saying? Like, obviously, there are certain levels at which we don't go. But we just throw it away, and we say, Lord, I'm here. I want to express myself to you. And for some of us, it's going to be a retraining for our hearts to say, like, man, I, maybe one of the ways we break through a cold heart is to intentionally express ourselves. And so, anyways, that's what we're trying to build. This is what we need to be, and it's because the Bible says so, not because Nate thinks the church should be that way, but it's just particularly explicit in the text, and so we want to express worship the way the Bible does. So, jumping into today, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 1, if you want to uh, turn there. And as we jump into that, a reminder, we're in our Core Values series, which is a seven-week series that explains who we are and what we're all about. This is only the third week of this new church, City Light Church. God has been doing some amazing things, and over these seven weeks, we are explaining who we are and what we are about. Now, the other day on Wednesday, I was in a group, and we were doing a book study, and y'all have probably experienced this, where you're like, hey, turn to page 55, and I, I, I underlined something on the third paragraph. You all have the same book. You expect everyone to get to the same space. And then they're like, what, page 55? What are you talking about? And then you realize they have an updated version, so it's not the same page numbers, and then they don't know where they are anymore, and they can't get on the same page with you. Some of them have their Kindle, you know, and Kindles don't even have page numbers sometimes. It's like percentages, you know, what's uh, page 55 is probably, I don't know, 23% of the way in, so maybe. And we're all, we have the same book, but we're not on the same page. Page. And that creates confusion. And in the same way, you can be the same church, but not be on the same page. We don't want to be the same church and not on the same page. We need to be collectively understanding what's happening, what we are doing, what we are about. And we move this thing forward by everybody buying in to what City Light is. I am not the only one who can fully believe this with all my heart. And our staff or whoever, all of us collectively believing, trusting, leaning in to what God has called City Light to be, understanding what our goals are, what are we about, what do we value, and then us getting on the same page. And I think so often many churches struggle to move forward because it's same church, different pages. And so in every way of our ministry, we just want to use the same language, have the same goals in mind, be thinking the same way so that no matter what you're doing or where you're doing it, we have one heart and one mind. So these core values aren't like, oh, that's a nice thing or whatever. These are essential to us not just understanding, but us moving forward, making a difference, making an impact. So that's why we're going through this. So I hope you see the importance of it. The first two weeks, just to catch you up, the first core value is we're all about Jesus. Uh, Jesus is our priority. Jesus is our message. If you remember that, we've been talking about the waterfall being in the presence of God, not just looking at it and explaining it. The second week, we did core value number two, which is we are dependent on prayer. And we talked primarily about the power of persistence using multiple texts to show that even though God is sovereign and what he wants to happen is what happens, he tells us that if you persist, you get more payoff. The more you pray and the more you press into something, the more the results come. And it's just plain and simple. It's as clear as day. Luke 18, Luke 11, all those things. 
and that fits under his sovereignty. I don't exactly know exactly how all the time, but God has made it explicitly clear. So we want to be a people who build this by prayer, who are dependent on prayer, who persist in prayer, who do not give up. I'm just going to use this mic right here. Is that? It sounds bad to me. Does it sound bad to you guys? No. no. Seriously, it's like feedback over here and then all over the place. All right, cool. Well, so core value number three today then is we are occupied with the word. So we're all about Jesus. You can write that down. We are dependent on prayer. We are occupied with the word. So before we jump into Psalm 1, I just want to show you where we get that language from. Uh, it's from Psalm, I mean, Acts 18.5. It says, when Silas and Timothy arrived at Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. Testifying to the Jews and uh, testifying to Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So they're gone. When they show up, they find Paul occupied with the word. That's the position they find him in. That's his attitude. It's also his speaking. Everything about Paul would be described as whether it's in personal devotions or speaking in the gospel. He is occupied with the word. So a question for us from the beginning is when someone finds you, how would they describe you? If they found you at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12 p.m., 3 3, whatever, midnight, 10 p.m., if they found you throughout your day, how would they describe you? If they showed up in Acts 18 and found you in your city, what would they find you doing? What would they find your attitude of heart to be? What would be your disposition? What are the things you talk about the most? How would they find you? And for us, the reason we use this language is because we want to be a people who are found occupied by the Word. Now, does that mean, oh, you know, whenever I'm at work, I'm just reading the Bible and ignoring my spreadsheets? Of course not. But what it means is, I do dedicate a lot of time to the Word, but wherever I am, when people talk to me, they get Jesus. And obviously, I can talk about sports or anything else, but if they say, if I found Nate, I'm going to find him, talking to somebody about the Lord, reading the Bible, talking, engaging with the Lord, you know, like, he's just going to be that kind of dude. That's what I would hope that people would be true, you know? I wish, if, if when my kids wake up at like 5.30 a.m., my goal would be for them to find me occupied by the Word. Now, often they find me asleep, is what they find me, and I'm working on, they need to find me occupied with the Word. And that's the kind of tone I want to set for our house here, this house, City Light Church, is that when people find us, both in our gatherings, in our lighthouses, and in our own personal time, wherever we are, that group of people is obsessed, occupied with the Word of God, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we want to be found. And some of you here have really believed that the Bible is just a group uh, of regulations, a set list of things to follow and obey, and not something to really enjoy and love. And I want to show you today that the Bible is where you're going to find real life. The Bible is where you're going to find the life that you had been looking for all along. The Bible is where you're going to be taught to really love the Lord and really flourish in the world. You know, my dad, I always uh, used to get super annoyed because he was this kind of person. And when you're a teenager, that's kind of annoying. And so he would, we would be doing anything. He was the king of Jesus Jukes. Before Jesus Juke was a Jesus Juke, my dad was Jesus Juking my whole family all the time. We'd be sitting on the couch watching football. I'd be like, man, that was a good run. He's like, yeah, just like Jesus ran up the hill to go die for you, you know? And it's like, what are you talking about, you know? Like, we're just talking about whatever, and it's just, Jesus, you know? And, 
we're doing this or that, and he's like explaining an analogy about Jesus. And I would literally, as my you know, 14, 15, 16 year old self, I wasn't that super close to the Lord at the time, and I would get super annoyed. I'd just be like, can you just talk about something else? Like, be normal, you know? That's what I wanted him to be. And so often, we try to be normal. And God wants us to be obsessed. Just like this is who we are, unashamed. The Bible is what we believe in. It's where we hear all the good news about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's the way. It's what we need. We are not normal, so we shouldn't try to be normal. Don't try to be normal. Be obsessed. Be occupied. And that's what we're pursuing today. But often, I think the problem for many of us is that we are occupied with a word, but not the word. Often we've been occupied with a word and not the word. Someone has spoken a word to you, about you, over you, in front of you, for you, and you have let in a word define you. Someone told you you're not good enough. Someone told you, no, I won't date you. Someone told you, I don't think this is going to work out. Someone told you the cancer won't go away. Someone told you the diagnosis is not good. Someone told you you would not get promoted and get the job you're looking for. Someone told you you won't get into this school. Someone told you your kid's always going to have that kind of issue. Someone told you a word, and they've spoken it to you, and you have let that word define your life. And you never consulted the word. And because you gave your life to a word, it has crumbled and created burdens on top of you when the whole point of the word is to be a burden lifter. One of my favorite verses, 1 John 5, 3, says his commands are not burdensome. And what do we think? What's our problem with the Bible? Well, it's a list of rules, burdens I have to bear, behaviors I have to keep, things I have to do to be right. It's a list. I can't do it. And it feels burdensome. And the Bible says it's flipped. The word that was spoken to you, a word, the one that's spoken by a person, is what's creating burdens in your life. The Bible is meant to be a burden lifter, not a burden giver. His commands are not burdensome, but a word spoken to you, about you, for you, around you, over you, that has been a burden to you. And you have submitted to a word from the world without ever going to the word from God. And when God wants to lift your burdens, you thought his book was burdensome. And so we've neglected it just because it's the right thing to do. But that's not enough motivation for us. I want you to see and flip to say the Bible, the word wants to liberate you. Your life is not defined by a word of men, but the word of God. Your life is not defined. Some of you, you walked in here, you've boxed yourself in. You've defined your life based off what people say about you, what people think about you, what has been said to you. Those mean words that were said when you were 5, 6, 7, 13, 14, 21, whatever. These things are defining you. They're boxing you in. They're creating your identity. And all the while, you think that Bible is a book of religious doctrines that's not going to help me. And you're enslaved to a word spoken over you. And the Bible wants to liberate you. Wants to set you free from the word, from a word that's been enslaving you. And we have to view the Bible this way. Otherwise, if it's just a book filled with things I'm supposed to do, it's not going to give anything to me. I'm not going to go read it and engage with it. But the Bible is a burden lifter, not a burden giver. Don't define your life by a word spoken to you, but the word spoken over you. So this is the context in which we're going to jump into Psalm 1. So let's read Psalm 1 with that in mind. 
Verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I love this, uh, this translation here. If you, if you translate blessed, that equals the word happy. Happy is the man who ignores a word from the world, but lives under the word from God. Happy is the man and woman. Have you ever thought I go to the Bible to get happy? Have you ever thought about that? Not like some superficial, oh, it's just going to give me goosebumps in three seconds, you know? And I'm going to be walking out here, on, you know, whatever. You have the same problems you had when you went into it. But it says, blessed, happy is the man. It sets you, it roots you in something good and something true. I want you to think about it that way. I go to the Bible to be happy. Happy is the man who dedicates himself to the book. Happy, happy, happy. We have to think about the Bible this way. It's the only way that's going to actually help you. <clears throat> when we think about the word occupation, uh, when we think about being occupied, the reason why you say occupation is because what occupies your time. Your job is what occupies your time. We call it an occupation. When we think about being devoted to the word as an occupation, the word is the only occupation that guarantees your happiness. The word is the only occupation that guarantees happiness. Now, it doesn't guarantee your life will work out just like you want or things will always be good or your kids will never be sick or you'll never get whatever. It doesn't guarantee that. It doesn't mean you won't be sad and won't cry and all those things. That's not what it means. But blessed, happy, rooted, settled, content, hopeful is the man who dedicates himself to the word. A deep sense of happiness is what we find in the word. It doesn't say the man who's dedicated to a good job, good spouse, and good health. That person's happy. It doesn't say that. Those things are good. Fantastic. We should definitely pursue and pray for those things. But happy, blessed is the man who dedicates himself to the word of God. So, simple things here. You can summarize this text like a good meeting, actions, and outcomes. Okay? So those of you who are agenda people, who are type A, Enneagram 1, whatever you want me to say. This is like a good meeting. Actions and outcomes, okay? Verses 1 and 2 are out actions. Verses 3 through 6 are outcomes. Our action is favor the word. The outcome is flourish in the world. So if you favor the word, you will flourish in the world. So the first one, favor the word as our occupation. The first thing I want you to notice from Psalm 1 is that it's a choice. Look at it. It's a choice. Blessed is the man who basically chooses not to walk in the counsel of the wicked, who chooses not to stand in the way of sinners, who chooses not to sit with scoffers, but chooses to delight in the Lord and chooses to meditate on it day and night. Not blessed is the man who wakes up feeling like doing these things. Blessed is the man who happens to not do these things. Blessed is the man who chooses. It's a choice. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's a choice. It's a choice. Say, it's a choice. To favor is to prefer. We choose what we occupy our minds with. This is a choice. What do you fill your mind with? It's by choice. You are not forced to fill your mind with anything other right now than what you choose. Nobody owns your mind but you. And it's a choice. Look, verse 1 and verse 2, we're going to see these choices. They're juxtaposed, juxtaposed with each other. You juxtapose. Yeah, I like that word. That's a good word. We can't have it both ways. Look in verse 1. 
It's not you can do pursuing the world and then delight in God, which is often our mistake. We pursue delight in the world and delight in God. But blessed is the man who runs away from the one and to the other. It's a choice. We have to choose to prefer and to give ourselves the Bible. We either live by a word or by the word every day. You're deciding to live by a word spoken to you, about you, around you, over you, for you, or you're deciding to live by the word. Every day you have a choice to fill your mind, fill your heart with words from people, organizations, commercials, or whatever about what's true, what's good, and what's right, and what makes you happy, or you can decide to give weight to the Word of God. So the question for us from the beginning is, whose word will you give more weight to today? We all know what this feels like to have some people in our circles that don't give the best advice, you know, and when they talk, you just don't count it very much. You're just like, okay, like, I appreciate you. I love you. You're still my friend. I just don't really listen to you that much because you're just not that wise. Maybe you'll grow into it, but, you know, if we're being real, it's no shot at them. It's just like, you know, I just, uh, I don't give much weight to their words. And there's some people in your life that are like, man, that person's wise. That person's got it going on. They figured something out. They're not perfect. But when they talk, I listen. I give weight to their words. And you know what we've done is we've misplaced our weight. And what the world says, we give a ton of weight to that. What people have said to you about your life, you've given a ton of weight to that. It's enslaving you because you've believed it. And the question is, whose word will you give more weight? You have both of them. You'll hear from both of them. Who will you choose to believe? Not who do you feel like believing. Who do you choose by faith and trust to believe? Whose word will you give more weight to? So our first mistake in our choices is we try to choose to delight in the world and in the word, and it doesn't work. The second thing we try to do in verse 2 is pursue delight in the world. Uh, pursue, verse 1, holiness without delight in the word. Verse 2. We try to be a group of people who do the right thing without actually delighting in the Lord. And if I try to be a good Christian without dedicating myself to the word, I'll have no power to do it. Some of you are so frustrated because you're trying to be the right kind of person, but you don't have the right kind of power. You've tried to be it based off what your pastor said, what your friend said, what you think the Bible says, what you know is right and good and moral and true. And you're trying really hard to be the right person, but without the right kind of power. And the Bible saying the only way you do verse one right is to do verse two. Is to delight in the Lord and to pursue him. Our choices are leading us somewhere every day. It's a choice. And small choices, how often you look at Twitter, Instagram, Small choices to, to resonate on something someone said about you and just lean around it. Small choices to dabble in this or that. Those are leading you every day to a certain position. They're creating something in you. Look at the progression here. Blessed is the man who walks, stands, and sits. What is it? It's not a progression. It's a degression. Slowly but surely, this person has settled with sin has settled with a word, has little by little joined in until finally he's sitting down saying, I'm one of you. I believe what you're saying. I will submit my life to your words. Little by little, we're making choices. In the same way it works the other way, little by little, we can make choices where a year later, we're a person of the word more so than we thought in the beginning. So it's a choice. The second thing we see here is you need to delight and meditate. These things are like a circle. Just think like arrows. You don't read the Bible just because you always feel delight. Pastors don't wake up with like unicorns floating around saying, ah, you know, it feels great to read the Bible. This is not what happens. It's a choice. 
And if you choose to meditate, delight will be the result. If you wait to delight, to meditate, you won't get it. If you quickly read your Bible without meditation, you'll get a percentage of what could come your way. The more time we give to it, the more we're going to get from it. Look at this in Psalm 119, 14 through 16. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I desire it. Then I meditate on your precepts. I fix my eyes on your way. Come back and I delight in your statutes. I choose to delight because I know it's good for me and I know the Lord is present in it and I know the word of God is what changes my life. It's worth what the gospel is preached and found. So I meditate on it and I give it time and the result is I delight. But here's the thing with us. So often we want outcomes without actions. This is what we want. We want outcomes without actions. We want the results of a real good prayer life without actually praying. We want the results of someone who's been with the Lord without the time and energy and effort it takes to get up and be with the Lord. We want the outcomes without the action. And the reality is you cannot have one without the other. We want experience without effort. We want delight without sacrifice. And the Lord says if you give it time, you're going to grow in your delight. Delight increases with time. I had a friend who used to use this illustration. He would say it takes a train a mile to slow down. And the reason he would share that is to say, just in your personal life with the Lord, in your own personal devotions, and the way you spend your time reading the Bible and experiencing the Lord by yourself, it takes you a mile just to slow down. You're just, choo, 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 choo. and it's going to take you 10, 15, 20 minutes just to put yourself in a position where you're settled and ready to hear from the Lord. And what we have done is we've shortcut the opportunity. God was cooking something, and you took it out of the oven too quick. This happens all the time. Man, God is cooking something in your life. And if you let the word do the work in your life, and if you gave it time, it would become fully baked. And who you want to be, who God wants you to be, who you are, what he's doing in your life, the kind of peace and hope and perspective he wants to give you was cooking, but you left. Or you pulled it out too fast. And you didn't get all that you could have gotten in the moment. We have to give it more time. It's simply a time issue. Delight will increase with time. That's why the Bible uses the word meditate, not read. Blessed is the one who meditates on the law. Meditate biblically is full of language. It's full of vivid pictures. So not meditate, read. A second thing I want us to see from this is that it offers us a firsthand experience instead of a secondhand experience of the Lord. It says, it does not say, blessed is the man who reads the law of God when he can when it's convenient when the kids are not going crazy you know whatever blessed is the man who reads when he can no, no, no. neither this blessed is the man who hears someone else read and preach the word of God it doesn't say that this is how this is my living and I'm telling you it doesn't say that it's important preaching is important it's in the Bible but this is not blessed is the man who meditates on the law by himself. Man cannot live by servants alone. This is so important. I'm just, man, if I could get one thing. You cannot live by servants alone. No, Jesus said man shall not live by bread alone. And we're going to modern day that to say, especially for people who go to church, you cannot live by servants alone, no matter how good the sermon. You were designed to meet with God. You were designed to be with God. This is the cherry on top. And you know what? If you're with the Lord throughout the week, this is going to be way more beneficial. If you're just trying to catch up when you're here, you're going to get like 10% of what God wants for you. 
And if you live week by week off sermons and someone else telling you something about God, what do we call that? Secondhand experiences. We call that living vicariously. The Lord wants us to have a firsthand personal grip of Him. And so often, one of the greatest problems with our version of Christianity is we settle for secondhand experiences. Someone else told me this about God. I learned this about God from that person. Someone told me this. I learned this here. I watched this here. I watched YouTube video here, podcast here. And listen, those are good. Fill your mind with those things. Yes and amen. But be with the Lord yourself. If you've trusted in Christ, that means you have the Holy Spirit. God wants to teach you through the Holy Spirit in you. Your pastor is not your primary teacher. The Holy Spirit is. And so go to the Lord, even if you don't feel like you know what you're doing. One of our main things in our basic training membership class is going to be a basic way to read the Bible well, to bring about fruit in your life. This is so important for us. Man cannot live by sermons alone. So delight, delight and meditate. Psalm 119.72 says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Psalm 119.10.11, More to be desired are they than gold. I love the word more than money. It's sweeter than ice cream. Sweeter than chocolate. Sweeter than brownies. It's better. Look at the experience, right? God wants you, and this is even in our services, not just to know Him, but to experience Him. It's not enough just to know the truth. God wants that truth to wreck you and me. We just can't be unaffected. And I just, in my own heart, I'm just tired of being so unaffected sometimes. What's wrong with me? And with us, we just, the Lord is so amazing. His word is so good. It's so life-changing. It's better than ice cream. It's better than money. And we just have such a hard time giving ourselves to it. And I know it's sin, the flesh, and I am just as guilty as anybody else. But I just want us to get up here to say, I am emotionally unaffected by God. Something is wrong. Something's just wrong. If I read the Bible and my heart never changes, something's wrong. If I come to church and I just go through the motions and I try to do the right thing, but my heart doesn't you know, express love for Jesus, something's wrong. Let's not say that's okay, that's normal Christian experience, you go up and down. No, 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 no. The Bible doesn't really do that. We understand sometimes you go up and down, that's life. But we're not going to settle for that. We're going to pursue Say, Lord, I know if I give more time to your word, I will experience more delight. I will experience more of your presence. I will experience more of your peace. I will be impacted by the personal work of Jesus. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus will matter more to me. The fact that I was a sinner and deserved hell, and now I get heaven because of nothing I did, is going to wreck me every time. That's the place I want us to get. That we all need to be, and imagine a group of people who do that together, and then go off in the world and do that on their own. This is who we need to be. The Lord is after us and a, a truth-informed experience of God. So not an experience just for experience sake, but a truth-informed, biblically saturated experience of God. And we'll settle for nothing else in my own life, in our life of our church. So favor the word. Choose it. Prefer it. Delight. Meditate. Go for a first-hand experience of God. Man cannot live by sermons alone. Secondly, flourish in the world. Verses 3 through 6. I want you to see from here um, the results, the outcomes he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers, but the wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drops away. I got four S's to describe these things. I think we see, you see, right, planted, you bear fruit, you don't wither, you prosper. So if you dedicate to the word, if you favor the word, the outcome is you're stable, strong, secure, and successful. You need to write those down. Stable, strong, secure, and successful if you pull from the right source. 
And I think so often we're pulling from the wrong well. Now we all know, I want to caveat, I don't want to give this whole time. When he says prosper, when I say successful, I do not mean that you'll get the right car, all the money, all that. That's not what we're talking about. But what we are talking about is you were designed to live in relationship with God and the world works better when you live according to God's design. So it is true that you will flourish interpersonally in the world around you, even though you may suffer, you will suffer, and things will go wrong, and that doesn't mean you're going to get everything you want. You will not. But prospering biblically is both, this is God's world, so I'm going to live in it God's way. God made it. He knows how to operate in it. And so the man and the woman who operates in God's world, God's way, that person prospers. They're successful. It means they make the most of their life. It doesn't mean they get the Corvette. So I just want to clarify, I want to preach a whole sermon on that, but just so you're not, you know, confused. Stable, strong, secure, and successful. The question for us is what is our source? What is our source? Just think about that right now. Where are you pulling from to be stable, strong, secure, and successful? Are you leaning on your spouse? I need my spouse to help me stable, strong, secure, and successful. And when they're insecure or rude or whatever, my whole world falls apart. Am I leaning on that with my kids? When my kids are healthy and doing well, I'm stable, strong, secure, and successful. But when they're not doing well, all of a sudden I lose all that. What's your source? Is it your job? When my job's going well, I feel stable, strong, secure, and successful. When my relationships are going well, when the money's going well, what is it for you? What's your source? What is making you right now feel stable, strong, secure, and successful? Other than the Lord. I want you to name it right now. I want you to fill this out and put it on the screen. When the word is your occupation, blank is your outcome. So now, think about what's, what's, what's pulling you from the Lord. What's your source? What are you pulling from? And how can you revert, pull it out of the well, put your bucket in the source of the word, begin to find stability, strength, security, and success from the Lord himself instead of someone else. Now, the outcome I want you to motivate yourself with now is when the word is your occupation, blank is your outcome. I've said probably a bunch of things already, maybe the four things there or something. I just want you right now from the Lord to write it down. What's the Lord telling you? What is it that you need to pursue from Him that you're getting somewhere else? And you want to remind yourself, when I occupy myself with the Word, this is going to be the outcome based off the Word of God. And that's what I need to pursue. Write something down if the Lord is leading you right now that you can nail down and begin to pursue. The question for our life is input-output. That's really what's happening here. What you input, that's what you output. That's what you're going to get. Now, I want you to notice, this is one of my favorite parts. Everything, this is like real estate. It's location, location, location. Everything's location. Look at it. You should circle in your Bible. He is like a tree planted where? Near the water. By streams of water. Near, whatever your version says. By. You should circle that by. Now, think about it. If you're a tree and you're planted by a desert, by a pile of rocks, by whatever, You'll have a different result. Same tree, different result. It's just so important. And life is about location. Where are you located? This is your source. What are you pulling from? Right? Take your same flowers and put them in the basement next to the washing machine or put them next to the window by the sink and which flower is going to grow the most? <laughs> yeah, it's the window flower. Of course it is. This is the same flower. Look, this is not ultimately about you or about what you can do or about how good of a Bible reader you can be. It's about location. Good. Look, by. Place yourself by the word. 
by other believers, by church, by whatever. Place yourself in the right place. Relocate. If you relocate, then you're going to grow. So it's not a matter of you creating a new skill set, which is good and healthy. Grow in your skill sets to know and love the word. It's about location. Bye. And some of you are misplaced and misled because you've mislocated yourself. You've put yourself in the wrong place. You're by the wrong people. Or you're by and the, the word that was spoken over you to you, you've placed yourself next to that. It's all about location. And one of the things we need to do is leave from here and relocate. By streams of water. Look at that. I just want you to think about how refreshing this picture is. It's like a glass of lemonade on a hot day. You know, you're running sprints for school or whatever, and you get some water. This is what the word is supposed to do, you know. The world is knocking you down, right? It's burning you out. And our mistake has been, man, I'm too tired to read the Bible. As if the Bible was an additional obligation. When the exact opposite should be true to say, I need the word. I'm too tired. I am too burnt out. I am too dry. I am too empty. And the only source for me to grow is the word of God. So I am going to relocate myself by the word. So I can live by streams of water. Stable, strong, secure, and successful. Now, as we close out, this has all been good news, right? Be in the Word. This is all motivational or whatever to be in the Word. But look here, verse 4, as we close. The wicked, look at all those good things. And then look at this. The wicked are not so. There's an outcome for giving yourself to the Word. There's also an outcome for neglecting the Word. It's not neutral. And it says here, those who pursue the Word become strong, secure, stable, and successful. But the wicked simply are none of those things. Look at the difference. I, I don't love this, but I think it's very interesting. In verse 1, the wicked are sitting, but in verse 4, the wicked are not stable. You may be sitting, but you're not stable. When you sit, you think you're stable. How are you going to fall down? And the Bible says the wicked are sits in the seat of power. You may be sitting. You walked into here feeling pretty comfortable, but you're not stable because you're not sitting on the Word. You haven't dedicated your life to the Word. You may be sitting, but you're not stable. And look at this. Uh, you may be standing now, verse 1, stands in the way of sinners, but you will not stand later, verse 5. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. Look at this. This is so important for those of you who walked in here, especially without a relationship with Jesus, who the Bible describes as the Word. Jesus became flesh. He lived a life we can never live. He died the death that we deserve. He rose again from the dead so that we could find victory over the grave. So that he could speak a better word over your life. A better word than someone told you when you were a kid. A better word than people are telling you now. A better word than you could tell yourself. Jesus died and rose again to give you a better word. A better covenant. A new life. This is all from Jesus. But if you neglect the word, not just the Bible, but what we learn about the Bible, Jesus himself, your outcome will be judgment. You may think you're standing now because life is good and you have the money, the job, and the relationships you need. But that will not make you stand in verse 5 when you stand before the Lord. You may think you're stable because you're sitting down. But the Bible says you're like chaff that the wind drives away. 
This is so important. This is not preference. Like those religious people, sure, read the Bible. What I'm trying to tell you, for all of you who love the Lord, yes, come on, let's be a people who love the Word. But for those of you who came here not in a personal relationship with Jesus, I invite you to join Him, to follow Him, to trust Him. And I also warn you that if you do not, there is judgment. There are consequences. This is not neutral. This is not what I just what I believe. This is just true across the board. And the danger is you think you're stable, you think you're sitting, you think you're okay. And the Bible says, no, you are not. If you neglect the word, the outcome will be separation from God forever in a place called hell. Verse 6 says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The reason for this is because you can't get away with anything. God knows your ways. Right? And you may be fooling all of us. You come to church, you're doing okay or whatever. And the, in the middle of all that, the Lord knows your heart. He knows your ways. He sees right through it. And you may think you're standing, and I may think you're standing, but the reality is you're not. You won't make it on the day of judgment. I'm just so concerned in a crowd this big that there will be people here who walk in here without a relationship with Jesus, and may your, maybe your life is okay, and you think everything's fine. And as much as I want to encourage many of you to pursue and love the Word because you love the Lord already and have a relationship with Him, for many of you, your first step is to follow Jesus today, to avoid the judgment to avoid that and to place yourself under the word and not a word. To liberate you from the bondage and the slavery of defining your life by something someone else has said to you. Jesus died and rose again to speak a better word. And he wants to speak that over your life. But you have to say this. So let me pray for us. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come down front. The band, y'all go ahead and come up. And just as we've said before, this is not... Uh, a sermon's over, you know, time to go home or whatever. This is time to really respond to the Lord. Time to respond to who God is. Time to respond to what God's doing. So I have some people that are going to come down and, and pray. And if you're one of the people that have, have done it recently, feel free to go ahead and come down as well. And just want you to respond. So we have a communion in the back, and I'll explain that in a minute. But just you and your heart. I'm going to pray in two minutes. But just with the Lord, respond to the Lord. Just, just submit to his word. Thank him for Jesus. Ask for a new desire to love the word and follow the word. Repent of your sins. Choose to follow Christ. Take an action step. And so you with the Lord right now, just do business that's appropriate right now. I'll pray and lead us in some direction. Dear God, I thank you, God, that you're the God that moves, God, that um, you are here with us, that you reign, that your word stands true, that is firmly fixed in the heavens, a city like kids is learning about, God. We thank you that we have the Holy Spirit alive and active in us, Lord, working in us. I pray we be a church, God, that um, is unified by the gospel, God, that is unified by what you're going to do, by who you are, God, and by your word. And I just pray that you would do abundantly more than we could ask or imagine in this church, in this place, through these people now, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, I think that's it. So go be the light of the world, church. Thank <laughs> you.